This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law, like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on CliffCentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg and this is The Laws of Life on CliffCentral.com. Alongside me should be Lionel McCutt. Makoka Klele, but I think he's running late. We'll introduce him as soon as he walks in. Today's show is for motorists that face on a daily basis beggars on every corner, trolley waste collectors, a complete danger on the road, and aggravating window washers. Some South Africans have just... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. many of us South Africans have reached breaking point, but the biggest problems facing us are not the irritating jugglers at traffic lights, but the horrific crime at intersections. This has become such a problem that more often than not, you sit in your car at a traffic light and hope... I hope nobody do it smash and grab. Said I hope nobody do it. Do a smash and grab. I do a smash and grab. Do 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 that smash and grab. I do 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 diggy do 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 diggy do that smash and grab. First I smash it up, then I snatch it up. That's how I do diggy do 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 diggy do that smash and grab. Yeah. We, we, we laugh at these kind of things, but, um, there's a lot of scary stuff out there and, um, we need, we need, we need some answers. We need the law to help us, if it can, against smash and grabbers. We'll talk about that in more detail. One of the other challenges facing us at intersections is the aggravating window washer. As I think we all know, they are every motorist's arch enemy. Some have been arrested, but the next day they simply return and continue as before. And this is why they keep doing it. Now I go window cleaning to earn an honest bob. For a nosy parker, it's an interesting job. Now it's a job that just suits me. A window cleaner you would be if you can see what I can see. When I'm cleaning windows, she pulls her hair all down behind. Then pulls down her, never mind. And after that, pulls down the blinds. When I'm cleaning windows... Yeah, that's our window cleaning song. It's been reported that when motorists don't agree to their windows being washed, the window washers break their windscreen wipers or leave soap halfway on the car and just walk away. It's it's a problem. It's a serious problem. Has this happened to you? I'm sure it has. Sadly, some of our people are so desperate and destitute that they'll do, do just about anything for your loose change. Where are we going wrong in this country? How do our ruling politicians feel when they see a beg on every corner? Or do they just simply turn away and make like they never saw it? So many people are interested to hear the inside story of what it takes to survive on the streets. So in studio today, we are delighted to welcome special guest Michelle Ackerman, who knows what it's like to stand on the streets desperately looking for a handout. Welcome to you, Michelle. Thank you. 
Yeah. Our other guests today know a whole lot about our street people. First up, and he's at a council meeting right now, he'll be joining us a little later, Johannesburg City Councillor Martin Williams. Also joining us is a man with a wicked sense of humor, really wicked. He's a writer and author. His name is Dave Gemmel. Welcome to you, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Dave just completed a wonderful series for the Saturday Star, was it, Dave? Yep. Yeah. He traveled the length and breadth of Johannesburg and environs to interview and write about some remarkable street people. We're going to talk to you in detail about that. Thanks for being here, Dave. We appreciate sure. you. Mm. Our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg. Uh, have a look, and as Lionel always says, uh, give us a like. Our Twitter handle, at Hertzlaw, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. We also, in collaboration with Legal Talk South Africa, with its Facebook membership of close to 196,000. And our shows get pinned onto their page. Marvelous. Michelle Ackerman. Yes. You're nervous. You're all right. I'm fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> Michelle, you're 43 years old and you stand on the streets hoping for a handout for hours at a stretch. I think you spend the whole day there. I've seen you. Thousands of motorists have seen you. You're at the intersection of Young Smuts Avenue and Conrad Drive. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> In Johannesburg. That's correct. By all accounts, your childhood was a disaster. By age 11, you'd been to 16 different schools. Correct. Your mother was an alcoholic and sold herself and her body for money. Correct. She beat you viciously and you ran away to an orphanage to ask them to take you in. Uh, I ended up doing that, yeah. I couldn't take it anymore, so it was tough. It wasn't once a day, twice a day. It was the whole day ongoing. Mm. How absolutely terrible for a little girl to have endured all that. You're now married. Uh, married. You know, two girls of my own. Um, look, I definitely had God with me all the years because um, being that age, it never bothered me while growing up. I thought it was normal, just that's life. Until now recently when I realized that I had a hectic childhood. Mm. I don't know how I managed to come through so much trauma every day as a little girl. So I definitely had God with me. For our listeners who will see your picture when we put the podcast up, um, you're a lovely young looking woman and one wouldn't expect you to be standing on a street corner every day uh, looking for money. How do... How do you deal with with the abuse that you get or the rejection or the scorn that that you get from motorists? How do you how do you deal with that every day? It's just something I must accept. Look, everybody has their own point um way of looking at things. I can't blame them. They don't know our situation, they don't know what we're going through. Um same I don't know what they're going through. And if they don't want to help, they don't have to help. They're not, they don't owe us anything. We're just asking if anybody is willing to help, we will appreciate it. I don't stand there and beg. I knit. I try and do things to give back. I don't want money for nothing. But there are people who do help out of their own, and we are very grateful. And those that don't want to be involved, get involved, that's fine. It's understandable. Has it become tougher, Michelle, in the last year or so? To, to get money from, from motorists? No, um, well... Things have kind of 
tightened in South Africa? People yes, have got less it money. is tougher. You stand there longer hours. Mm. Um, yes, there's definitely less money. But in general, the people are nice. Does anyone ever roll their window down and say, go and get a job? Uh, that's happened many of times. Normally, mm. when you walk towards a car, they normally roll the window up and just sit there and ignore you, which is also fine. Have you thought of getting another job? Of course. But I've got um, my knitting. I've been so serious with this. Um, I've got a, a business plan. I've been trying to work on it for about two years now. Um, I want to teach knitting. It's called Sybil's Knitting Academy. Mm-hmm. Why Sybil? Because my family gave me the nickname Sybil. So you actually stand on the... It's at, on the corner. Conrad and yes, yeah. You have two knitting needles and wool, Lots and you knit it. all day. How I many, knit how, all day. How I many walk. hours? How many hours do you stand there and knit? Um, I only stand there for about two or three hours in the mornings, mm. and then I go home and then I knit at home. And my husband and I walk around. We pick up cans, junk, mm. scrap to sell as well for extra money. What does your husband do? He used to caretaker at um, where we were staying previously, but he lost that. We lost our place to stay. Mm. Uh, we've now in a new little flatlet. We've been there this month only. Um, so a lot of changes in our life as well. Do you manage to pay your rent and feed we your children? We don't know yet what's going to happen. It's the first month where our rent is actually a big jump. It's much higher than it used to be. Um, so we're not sure yet how. We've got to get used to this. It's a different... Things have changed, you know. We've got to get used to raising more money. Are so there any wi- are there any white people that tip you as a white person? No, no, no. Is All it across nations. the board? Yeah. All nations. There's Everybody gives you some money? Not everybody. No, I mean, it all across all, yes, race, yes, all yes, races, yes. Yes, it's like in every race there's your people that are givers and then the people that can't give. It's all the same. It doesn't matter what color you are. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's got their, everybody's the same actually in a way. They've all got their own problems. If you were, if, if, if we could reverse the roles and make you the motorist, mm-hmm. and there's a big on every corner, how would you deal with this? On every on corner? On every corner. Mm-mm, in Johannesburg, there's one on every corner. Wow, it's difficult. How that would you as a motorist deal with it? Um, well, obviously I can't give to everybody. Um, you can't. I'm sure you can't. You can't afford it. There's a wonderful mm-hmm. saying. I may have come up with it. They say beggars can't be choosers, but you can choose your own beggar. Of course. Do you think that if every motorist chose one beggar mm-hmm. and confined themselves to him mm-hmm. or her, mm-hmm. it could work? Then you just give that person and you ignore everyone else. Well, you know what? Every beggar, I don't care who they are, have got their own people that help. Are um, yours regulars? Yes. Everybody um, I've seen, I've heard from other beggars, they've all got their regulars. So the actual the motorist behind doesn't have to feel bad if they're not giving to somebody because that person standing there has got their regulars. I think what, what really aggravates motorists is that a number of beggars actually come up to your window and they harass you. Oh, and uh, me as a beggar, well, i uh, I don't you call yourself a beg no. because I used when I started off I did stand with a cup and a, a board. And what um, does the board say? 
help, please help in the beginning. Mm. And then I started selling pens and um, key rings and things, but that didn't work really because I used to give more away in the end. Um, then a few people threw knitting needles and wool out to me. And I didn't know much about knitting then. And then the third time I got woolen needles, I actually started knitting. I only knew how to knit plain stitch. I couldn't cast off properly and I could cast on. But I mm. made scarves and I sold them. Mm. And eventually um, an amazing woman stopped by. What's her name? Lauren. Do you know her surname? I don't want to mention that. Okay. <laughs> um, she'll know who she is. Taught me basically everything I know today. Are you tearful? Um, when it's emotional, maybe. No. You when see, I think of her, yes. <laughs> she helped me. She's amazing. She helped me so much. Everything I can do today, she taught me. And that's why I give back when I can. So do you knit for people and get paid for it? I do. When they want me to knit something, I do. I charge them. Do your children know you stand and beg on a street corner? Not exactly. No, not entirely. What do you tell them when you leave in the morning? I'm going to work. I knit. Look, it's different than it was a few years ago. I've been there for many years, maybe five, six years. Um, it's different now because I'm actually doing something and it feels better. I'm not standing there with a cup wanting. And even when I was standing there with a cup, I wouldn't ask. I would, if somebody wants to help, they'll help. Mm. If, I mean, I talk to how many people every day? I don't expect them to give me just because I'm talking do to them. Do people roll their windows down and for a chat? Yes, and I love it. What do they say to you? Things in general, everyday living. I mean, I've got some people that actually come to me if they're depressed and they tell me about their problems and I listen. Um, do you charge them? <laughs> um, no. A therapist fee. You know what's yeah. amazing? Just the fact that they actually trust in me and they can talk to me and they don't look down on me. That is, that's priceless. How's your self-esteem? How do you feel about yourself? I'm feeling great about myself because Genuinely, I found God. Gen- I found God in my life and he's been amazing. And I don't... Yeah, I feel great. Things will get better. How? They have to. I'm leaving my life in God's hands, and I know if I work hard at what I'm doing, it will get better. It will have to get better. It can't get worse. This wonderful mm. man, Dave Gemmel. He has done amazing things. He's re- Yeah, I think he found you, if I may use that yes. term. Yes. And, and he wrote this article about you, full page in the Saturday Star. Mm-hmm. That got you an enormous traction, didn't it? A lot of people didn't know my situation. And as I mean, I don't talk to them about my problems and that. You know, even if we're chatting every day, I just feel they've got their own problems to deal with. They don't still want to listen to mine. So since David actually put my story out, a lot of people know my story now and they understand better. Your mother committed suicide? Yes, she did. She's been trying to do that since I was a little girl. I would come home from school and she'd be lying there with her wrist slashed. Um, she'd be in hospital and wake up and drag, like rip the drips out of her arms and swear at the doctors because they saved her life. She's been trying to kill herself since I can remember. And one day she did. How did you feel when you heard it or saw it? Uh, I was sad, obviously, mm. because, I mean, but she phoned me before she did it. And um, she sounded a bit like she was on the alcohol, so I wasn't sure if she was serious or what. But I could hear she was 
I don't know. Michelle, are you giving your children every chance? Of course, because I've actually given them up to the family to help me. Um, they're homeschooling at the moment, so mm. it's a better opportunity for them. I can't be selfish because we've moving, we've moved again, and I mean it's not fair. On what them. Do you I know what it's like to move around and mm. never be a, have a proper home with a TV and you know things like that. So yeah, it's been difficult, and yes, I am giving them opportunity. What age are they? Did you tell me? Yes, age mm. nine and seven. Mm. So they're with, with foster parents right no, now? No, with um, their granny. Okay. Yeah. So they're going to maybe succeed where, where you haven't, y- but it's thanks yes. to you, isn't it? Mm. What's the best thing that could happen to you, Michelle? To me? Yes. Oh, I just want to get my business on the go. I've got so many plans. Um, Sybil's Closet is one, mm. and Sybil's Knitting Academy is the other half. The first half, Sybil's Closet, I want to, I've got so many plans. I've got, you know, I, I've been rescuing animals for a long time, mm-hmm. my husband and I. And all these animals are so unique. They, because we spend a lot of time with them and it's as if they know what we've done for them. They appreciate it. But you know, you get animals are just like humans. They come in different characters. Some are shy. Some are babbly mouths. They mm. don't stop talking. Others are outgoing. Others are shy. You know, they just want to be at home and lazy. And um, So I want to knit identicals to all the animals we've rescued. And I want to call it Sybil's Adopt-A-Pet. I could talk to you for, for hours. I find you absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure our listeners do as mm. well. There's so many questions that I, I need to ask you, but I may... Be forced to move on because Dave has also got stories for us. Just one last: when mm-hmm. you st- the, could you get a job at SBCA or any animal shelters or something like that? And would you take it if you got it? I don't want to ask you what you earn on the street, but maybe you're doing particularly well. No, we live day by day. Um, no, I wouldn't look. My dream, obviously, I'll take a job. Obviously. Well, I don't know if it's obvious. Maybe I would, not. I would, yeah. I would, because then it's a set income. But I have this dream, and I just, I'm getting older. I'm not getting any younger. I really want to help the rescued animals out there. And I want to help people learn a skill, knit. There's lots more, you know, they can learn. And um I want to make these amazing clothes for children. And I want to, well, my knit, Sybil's Knitting Academy, it's the basic skills course. Then the um, advanced course, then the master's course, and then obviously a hobby class. And the hobby mm. class will knit for charity, for the homeless, for the abandoned babies, abused pets. Yeah, there's all kinds of projects. There's the Warm the World. No, uh, that's my dream. Yeah, that's headed up by Judge Sharice Wiener. She's very much part of that. I think Doe Stain's wife uh, creates blankets for the prisoners. There could never be too yeah. many. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of someone who's keeps an eye on you and as, as, as far as he can, because he's a very busy man, mm. is a wonderful writer and journalist. He's a remarkable man. His name is Dave Gemmel. And uh, Dave, you wrote a series for the Saturday Star over a period of what, a year or so? Yeah, a year and a bit, yeah. On street people. Yeah, it, it just started off, um, I interviewed one of them at the Juggler, and then, you know, there's such a... So many of them, you, you can just sort of put them in um, in groups. You know, there's the, the the 
the limpers, there's the salesmen, there the beggars, the, the the entertainers, and I just thought, you know, to try and interview one from every sort of group as I went along. That was oh. the sort of plan. It, it it derailed along the way. Your first interview, I think, was with the uh, jugglers, wasn't it? That's right. How did know. that come about? What made you write about that, and what what gave you the inspiration? Well, you obviously know that's why you're asking, but uh, <laughs> I tried to run him over. I was um, parked outside um, Republican Nickel Highway, and he, he juggled, and he was absolutely fantastic, and I was looking for some money for him, and, and I noticed he parked himself in front of my car, and he had his hands on his hips, and he was just glaring at me, and I I thought this is not how it should work. You know, if you really would like something from me, you know, you know, try a little bit harder. Mm. Don't stand in front of me and try and force me to drive around you. So what I did instead was try and run him over. And, um, <laughs> and he chucked signs at me and swore at me and whatever. And, and as I was driving off, my first thought was, I'll get you next time. But then on reflection, I thought, you know, that's not right. I mean, I've got everything in the world compared to him. Maybe more interesting would be to find out why he does that, why he's so angry, why he, he – Sort of fights for the very people he, he's looking for for succor from. So I went back and interviewed him. He he was the basis of the the beginning of this whole sort of idea to start interviewing these people, and it sort of grew from there. Mm. Whose fan is not off, Dave? Uh, you um, how many people did you interview? How many? Street I think in the people? end it came yeah. to somewhere around fifty odd. Yeah, but it wasn't only street people. I interviewed. Um, you know, people associated with the industry like recyclers and, and, and other, you know, the other yeah. side of it. And also some of the people who, who would do good as well as I call them guardian angels. Yeah. Um, you know, echoing what Michelle said that, uh, a lot of these people call them beggars, street people, whatever you want to have guardian angels who look after them. And I think your idea is, is if everybody adopted one of these people, you, you know, it would just make their lives a lot easier. It'd also be a nice way of giving back to society in a way. The problem being is that it it might encourage more of them to come out. So I, you know, I don't really know what the answer is. There's there's one question that I forgot to ask, Michelle. If I can just go back to you quickly, you get that same spot every day of your life. Uh-huh. How do you get the same spot? How is it that someone else hasn't said, "Hey, I like that corner as well"? Look, yeah, um, there's respect amongst the street people. Once you stand at one corner, it's actually yeah. unless you don't pitch up there for a while. They won't stand there mm. um, because they know it's your spot. Okay. Uh, it's yeah. just it's the way it is. Yeah. One of the issues, especially down in that area, is smash and grabbers. Do you see it happening? Uh, uh, not yet. I haven't seen it. And yeah. I, even though I'm a woman, I won't allow them to do anything to the people there at that intersection. Dave, you know all about these smash and grabbers. It's yeah. happening prolifically all over the place. I've heard about it more and more. Um, I did at one stage try and track some down to interview them, but as you can imagine, they they weren't available to be publicized. Um, yeah, it, it it is a problem, but I mean, um, it's I, I suppose it it just goes with with the position these people find themselves in. They get desperate. Mm. One of the um, questions that I often get asked is, what kind of force can be used? If one of them is about or is smashing your window and about to take your your purse, your bag, your briefcase, your computer case out of your car, can you shoot them? And the answer is no, you cannot. You cannot use lethal force to prevent it from happening. Even after it's been grabbed, 
You can't use lethal force to stop the thief running away. And the law is very strict on this one. Our courts have decided that the, the right to life trumps, is stronger than the right to your own property. So, um, yeah, I mean, even if you shout, stop or I'll shoot, and he's, he's grabbed your briefcase, got your life in it, and you say, stop or I'll shoot, and he doesn't, he just walks away or runs away, you can't, you can't do anything. I, I think and that's, sorry, Dave, that's what's creating the problem because the smash and grabbers know this. But isn't it you're entitled to, you know, to defend yourself, you know, commensurate with the risk? So if a guy is, is um, smashing and grabbing and sticking his hand into your, your vehicle and stealing your stuff, you're perfectly welcome to stab him in his arm or his hand or smash his hand or, or, or crush it in the window. You'll, you'll be up for assault. Sure, but he, You'll be up for, for attempted murder. You'll be up for murder. If you shoot I, I'd happily take my chances well, and say to the I judge, what so. was his hand doing in my window? I don't think so, Dave. You, yeah. If unless, Dave, there's an unless. Unless he brandishes a knife or a weapon, yeah. a gun, firearm, then you can. If your life is in danger, danger and yeah. you reasonably, reasonably believe it to be in danger, of course, you can mm. then use lethal force. Otherwise not. So a man who's breaking into your car to steal your possessions you got to watch and let it go. And the man behind you, who also sees it happening, has got to watch and let it go as well. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. But that's the way the law yeah. reads at the moment. The old adage, the law is an ass. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can only really take serious action and, and uh, you know, hurt someone if they're about to hurt you to prevent yeah. really a serious bodily harm to yourself. Otherwise, I'm afraid... There's nothing you can do. And that is why this is, is, is become such a scourge. Funny enough, with, with all my interviews, and I did them across town and in town, downtown, um, I've came across very little of the crime aspect. And look, I wasn't looking for it in particular, but I mean, I was interviewing people late at night under bridges in downtown Joburg, and uh, I never once felt in danger. I was never once threatened. Everyone I interviewed, despite their circumstances, I mean, I, you'd bang on a pile of plastic and cardboard and somebody would crawl out and you'd say, hello, and he'd say, good evening, um, and he'd be polite and he'd be nice and he wouldn't ask for anything. Oh, you've just interviewed me. Um, please give me something. They would, they would say thank you. And, and I, I know for sure they didn't have a clue of what I was doing. So the crime is, in over a year of doing these interviews, I came across very little crime. I know it's a problem and it's out there and everything and you're not likely to walk into it, you know, just like that because it, it happens, you know, arbitrarily in different spots at different moments. But I found it was one of, almost one of the, the sort of lesser problems. In, in terms of how many of these people are out there mm. just trying hard to survive from one day to the next. It's not them, Dave. We're talking about, we're not talking about the beggars mm. that are breaking your windows and, no, and no, smashing. No, 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 we're talking about the criminals. Yeah. Christopher Naku, mm. uh, he's my, the person that I've chosen to, to, you, his to guardian angel, yeah, yeah. well, to an extent, I, I assist him. <laughs> um, He's told me, and his office, as we call it, he stands at the corner of Jan Smuts and William Nickel. It's very busy. He says from 5 o'clock onwards, well, that was in winter, when it gets a bit dark, the cars that are backed up, if you leave your window open, you're in big trouble, according to him, because people 
put their hands in and they grab and they run or sometimes they smash the window and they grab your cell phone. So, I mean, this is a very, very busy intersection. One's got to be just so careful. Uh, You know, most of our listeners are on podcast here. If we had a phone in, you'd probably find tons of people phoning in, you know, with this kind of problem. There's a a gent or it could be a lady, Robin on uh, Legal Talk, which is our collaborative partner. He says, simple question, when is it legal to use pepper spray? We have a beggar in our area who's addicted to drugs and constantly threatens myself and my kids in the car. He is super aggressive. There you go. Can yeah. you use pepper spray? I, I actually wouldn't know. Yeah. W- what's the legal position? Well, if you, if you reasonably and genuinely believe, I suppose, Dave, that an attack on you and your kids is, a, is imminently about to happen, then I guess you can use pepper spray. But just because he's menacing. You can't. And you can't. You know, you, you just can't. You'd love to because he stands with his face pinned up against your window. There are a lot of them that are on serious drugs. You can see it. You know, the law on begging on the roads, and Michelle, you're going to hear this as well. We've all, the, the, the councils have all got bylaws that, that prevent people from, from begging. It says no person, the Joburg bylaws say, no person may lie, stand, congregate, loiter, walk, or otherwise act in any manner that may obstruct traffic. Is that begging? Is it obstructing traffic? Not really. Mm. But, I mean, all these bylaws, if they want to, they could remove beggars off the streets. And do you remember, Dave, in 2010 when we had our World Cup here? They took off all the... There wasn't a beggar on the the road. And everyone said, jeepers, you know, look how Mm. clean everything is. All the tourists that arrived from all over the world couldn't believe what a first world country we looked like. Do you know how they did that? No, that was bef- they, they passed, no. I, I think I remember, they passed a, a special, the municipalities passed a special bylaw in each city, specifically for the World Cup. And they came, these bylaws came into operation about a month before the tournament began and remained in effect until a month after. Uh, basically, these bylaws were to clean the streets of street traders and homeless people. And authorized officials of the councils were empowered to enforce these provisions. And that's how they cleaned it out. You weren't around in 2010 on the streets, were you, Michelle? <clears throat> no. Mm. Well, not on my not corner. Really, oh, no. not, not on my corner. <laughs> yeah. No. So there you are. I mean, if they wanted to, and a lot of people are begging for that motorist. They say, just take the beggars off the road, please. Can I just yeah. uh, come in here? The, an interesting thing in, in New York many years ago, they had the broken window policy. Yes, I, I can't for absolutely. the life of me remember the people who introduced it now. I think it was uh, um, the Italian, uh, yeah, okay. Giuliani. Giuliani well, no, I don't yeah, think yeah. it was him, but, but yeah. anyway, mm. a, a small example of how that worked was that the, the, the brains behind it was that um, if you stopped minor crime, the, the broken window theory comes from the fact that if, if mm. a building has a broken window, and you do nothing about it, within moments all the windows in the building will be broken. Yes. People will break them because they, they see you don't care or whatever. But if you fix the window that's broken as it's broken, no more windows will be broken or there will be a random one at odd moments. Mm. So, And yet you, what you're doing there is you, you, you're just simply fixing a small little item, a broken window. You're not doing a whole big um, change in society or anything else. And And where they extended that to was – um, they stopped fare jumpers on the subway, and 
when people questioned this, they said, um, why on earth would you jump, stop fair jumpers when you have the muggers and the rapists and the, 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 the thieves on the, on the train? That, that's what you should be stopping. Mm. And the logic was that people who are going on the trains to mug and steal and rape are not going to pay the fare. They're just not those sort of people. So they jump, jump the, the, the fare. They, they don't pay it. So they stopped the fare jumpers. That's mm. what they focused it's on. It's the small things. And yeah. do you know that rape, mm. robbery, and, and, and all the other crimes on the train lessened hugely, hugely. It was dramatic. And so, so in there, there's a parallel. You talk about these muggers on the, you know, in the traffic and everything else. Uh, rather than shooting them, rather than pepper spraying, spraying them or getting yourself in a tiz, what should happen is th- there's this whole um, street people Situation should be coordinated so that you take away the people who are doing nothing on the street. One thing about Michelle, which I think is is honourable, is that she likes the sense of doing something for a living. She doesn't beg. She doesn't. She she knits for a living and she knits all day and she takes orders and she produces a product which people are happy to pay for. So she earns a living even though she's doing it on the street. But there are a lot of guys who come up to your window and they just brandish a cup at you or they point at their stomach and they say they need food and and you must give it give to them you get rid of all of them yeah. um you watch the crime rate the 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 smash and grabs and everything else you watch them d- diminish and i think th- th- there's something that should be looked at they should look at a version of the broken window policy to to, to govern this whole situation absolutely we are very blessed today because uh, someone that just walked into our studio is martin williams um, but we're going to talk to Martin. Uh, let's just break for a moment because he's about to come into the studio. We'll be right back. This is CliffCentral.com. Martin Williams, journalist by profession, uh, was managing editor of Natal Witness. Were you? Is it the right bio I've got years ago? That's going a long way back. I was, yeah. I was the editor of The Citizen when I retired in 2013. Yeah. You now city councillor Johannesburg for Ward what? Ward 90. Give us an idea of what that encompasses, what area? Well, it starts at Craig Hall Park, Craig Hall, Dunkeld, Dunkeld West, Hurlingham, Hyde Park, um, Sandhurst, Park Moor. Those are the main suburbs. Yeah. Okay, so Martin, you, um, you have strong opinions on the socio-economic issue of vagrants, it is called. You have another title for for people that hang around our parks and are sleeping there and whatever. Displaced people, yes. Okay, displaced people are often what we call these street these 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 trolley. I uh, call them trolley trolley pushing waste pickers. Yes. yes. Okay, where are they sleeping? <laughs> a lot of them are sleeping in our parks yes. and along the spread. Okay, now. Where could people what, – what is the displaced that I've read about or you've spoken about, displaced city – a person's unit that the city of Johannesburg has created? Is there such a thing? Yes, as a displaced pe- people's unit. It's DPU. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been functioning for I don't know how many years. It certainly was functioning when I became a councillor in this ward in August 2016. Yes. At that time, quite a momentous thing happened in relation to displaced people, I, I don't remember George Lee Park, which is the corner of Santon Drive and William Nickel. Mm. Uh, there were <laughs> upwards of 300 people living in the park. And a process was started before I became a councillor. Other people started uh, the process of refencing the park and moving those people out. 
And since then, those people have dispersed as they told us they would, and they're living in parks and along the street nearby. Mm. In this instance, most of them are Lesotho citizens, many without documentation, and there have been all sorts of problems associated with that. Yeah. If people want a meal and a place to sleep, is there something that the council offers? Yeah, not in Ward 90 at this stage. Mm. Um, the closest one to there would be uh, run by the Immaculata Sisters of Mercy in Rosebank, right next to the Rosebank Police Station. They accommodate 80 men and 20 women. Um, you can spend the night there and have a hot meal and a shower. It costs, For free? It costs eight rand. For eight rand. Yeah. Um, three Koch Street is, is the, in town, is, is the main one for the city. Mm. There's an attempt to have one in Randburg at the moment. There's a lot of heat from residents about that. They don't like the idea. Yeah. Martin, there's a cry out from our public yeah. and from many, from many sources. Yes. Don't give to the beggars. Don't give. Because if you give, you create a society of beggars. Cliched, but that's what it is. Yes. If we didn't give, where would they go? <laughs> and and are these people are these people going to just you know die on the on the street corners? Dave, where do they go? Yeah. It's an interesting point. You know, if you if, if I was asked the one day, um um are there these street people in Soweto? So I said I had no idea. And he, my friend said, Go and have a look. And I went off and I spent a day in Soweto and there there are none or very, very few street people. And I stopped and uh, asked a taxi driver, he was the only person I could find to interview, and asked him why this was. And he just said, you know, we work so hard for our money, we're not going to give people free money. You know, they will buy fruit and vegetables of of people who sell stuff and everything else. But beggars, no. And but he'd give you the same answer in Santon. But but no, but hang on. But yeah. the, but he said, look up through the rest of Africa. And I did some research on it, and that yeah. you do not see beggars in most other African countries because people just don't understand the concept of um, we can get a job, we work hard for our money. Why should you just stand at the road and we give you what we've been working for? And there are very few beggars. You see very very few beggars unless they're disabled in Africa. And why is that? Is because no one's feeding them to to beg. That's what you're doing. You're encouraging them by by giving them money. So, so my point down here, just as a starting point, is yeah. don't give anyone who's begging. Give somebody who, like Michelle, is knitting or earning their living by selling you something. Somebody selling you a bunch of avas is at least working for a living. You know, he's he's doing something and he's providing you with something for in return for your money. But just simply giving people money. It's just giving them the wrong message right from the well, start. Well, what about the blind and the disabled? Look, what what happens to them? They should, you know, obviously it would be an ideal world if their associations and things and charities could look after all of them. But I I have less qualms giving either an entertainer or a, a, a limper, as I call them, or a, a blind person money in, in the sense that there's not much they could do, you know, to improve their situation, to, you know, without support. But the guys who just stand there and stick a mug at you or who the, the great trick of walking along, pointing at their stomach and patting their, their – pointing at their mouth saying they need food and they need money, why on earth should you give it to them? How do you feel, Martin? Yeah, I feel it's true that giving in this sense can create a culture of dependency, but not giving is not going to solve the problem, yeah. not by a long way. In this country, 
which is not the rest of Africa. We're talking about we're here in Santon, Ravonia, whatever. People beg there because there are rich pickings there. Mm. And in my case, I'm not talking only about beggars, but about people who are trying to earn a living by recycling waste. They, they regard it as, as their job. No, there, there, I don't think we have a problem. No, yeah. I'm completely <coughs> we, we, with th- there. We agree. Yeah. I think that everyone. I think the only yeah. danger with them is the danger they they create on the roads. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone's opposed to to the the recyclers. I've had some yeah. quite robust exchanges with members of the mail committee about whose responsibility is what and who should be doing mm. what. Mm. And I asked the chief of police uh, a detailed question, and I've asked it of the MMC. And one of the tail enders in, in the answer is that, that they would prefer if residents didn't encourage people by, you know, offering them comfort in, in places where they shouldn't be. You know, people sleeping in the park, you offer them a blanket or a tent or whatever. So th- there is that element too. So what Dave is saying is not, is not unfamiliar to any of us. Mm. But, but I'm just saying that, just saying, oh, we don't give, that's a tough love approach, but it's not going to work here. We, Joburg is a magnet. It attracts thousands and thousands of more people every day, and most of them, a lot of them are unregistered, mm. might not be from this country. Yes. Saying, are we not going to give that? That's going to solve the problem. What you need is, is, a pro, is an approach that includes home affairs, international relations cooperation, uh, the SAPS, our JMPD, people who look after the parks. To deal with him, yeah. About a, <clears throat> excuse me, a few years ago, I interviewed the trolley people, the uh, waste removers. Yeah. And they were all from, they were all foreign nationals. Yes. Swaziland, someone said Lesotho yeah. earlier. A lot of them are Lesotho, yeah. 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 So, These, they, they so, con- yeah. so they congregate, so you'll have yeah. Lesotho citizens in, in my world, you'll have Zimbabweans in another place and so mm. they, they, that's what they do. Yeah. I, I guess these people don't qualify for any form of social grants. No. And, and they, you know, they, they don't have papers. Yeah. They can't get registered and they can't get proper jobs. Yeah. I guess. Yes. And they, they're forced to do what they do. Well, they're not forced to, and that's an existential question. Yes, well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So From we, their point of view, yeah. During the, the big sort of movement out of George Lee, we interviewed a lot of these people, social mm. development, the city social development department interviewed them. They said they didn't want to go to a shelter, mm. most of them. They didn't want to be moved from where they were. If we moved them, they'd go across the road, which they did, or they'd go and live in that space, which they did. And the reason they're there is because there are rich pickings, not just from standing and begging, but from the whole waste collection point of view. They, they able to fill their trolleys very nicely. Mm. Uh, in a convenient way, they'd ra- they'd rather sleep rough in the park than be shipped to Cox Street or Rosebank or any- anywhere. If they wanted to, they could get a meal and a bed at the places you mentioned earlier. Mm. Yeah. They choose to sleep in the parks and mm. wash in the drains. I mean, I've interviewed them. I know. Yes, what, yes. Yeah, they choose to do that. Yes. So I mean, you could lo- you could as a, a citizen say, well, I'm not going to. Give you anything if that's you know if that's what you want to do yeah. that's your decision. The fact is, are these facilities sufficiently able to no. to take on all the the people on the street corners? That's I mean, no, is there no, no there, there aren't enough shelters mm. in the in the city to you know the, the city has a housing backlog of more than three hundred thousand units anyway, mm. um, and it just keeps 
multiplying all the time. Um, yeah. Could the city do more? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, from the time I became a councillor, I've been, you know, put, trying to put pressure on the executive to come up. With a, there isn't actually a clear policy on displaced people at the moment. One was drawn up in 2010. Mm. For the first time, in Jul- on July the 31st, I attended a workshop on attempts to update that policy. At that time, they were just worried about a few people sleeping on the pavements. Mm. Uh, eight years ago, things have changed a lot since then. Yeah, yeah I spoke to um, a security organization mm-hmm. called CAP, C-A-P. Yes. You see their trucks all over the place. Yes, they're, I think in, they're in my neighborhood. Too, yeah, yes. I think they're yellow, aren't they, or whatever. Their trucks are black. Or yellow and black, yes. yes. A lot of them are yellow and black, yeah. yeah. They... Um, I think they're very active in the north of Johannesburg yeah. and the, the northeastern suburbs. Yes. Yeah. I asked them, I spoke to the CEO, Mark von Jasfeld, who really wanted to be here today. Yes. Uh, but he can't for religious reasons. Reasons. He said that the informal waste collectors are not a crime problem. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. He sent me some statement. He said they've collected data over 12 years mm. and uh, recyclers do not pose a significant threat to the security of communities. Yeah. Uh, they may be a nuisance. I think we all yeah, we so find so them a nuisance, but so certainly I, on the road. I mean, I, they're, they're treacherous. That, but, they're absolutely but, but, treacherous. But so. My main concern around that is the environment. There are, I, I go regularly to these places where the people sleep, and what you do find quite often is little packets that drugs are bought in. You know, mm. And I don't know what drugs are in there, but th- these tiny little plastic packets. So you see a lot of that, but I don't associate them with with crime in any significant sense but in one of the places near the corner of Santon Drive and William Nickel, I have encountered <coughs> 10 rats at one time I see a little stream blocked up with mm. blankets or any sort of garbage, people chucking stuff in, in the rivers and stuff Th- that, that kind of pollution worries me a lot, mm. that uh, the degradation of the environment and I could go on and on about that, so, so occasionally and I have a language difficulty with Sutu citizens, to you know, a lot of education is required. We we go there once a month on this Aritzebet thing to clean up, and we try and I get people to try and talk to them, explain what's happening, and they say yes, 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 and you come back three weeks later, and it's just chaos again. Um, yeah, uh, Martin, before you moved, walked in, yeah. we were talking about what happened in the 2010 World Cup when the streets yes. were cleaned of of everyone, of well, beggars and, and street people. That's yeah. when this. Previous policy was devised. Yeah, I mean, f- forgive me, but yes. if we really wanted to clean up, and we have a, a lady who stands uh, on a street yes. corner, she's with us today. Yes. But if we really wanted to yeah. rid the streets of a beg on every corner, we yes. could. The council could pass these bylaws. No, 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 no. Why? Well, it's it's a, an idealistic thing because I, one of the questions that I asked the MMC and the chief of police is why. Does the city not enforce and uphold these bylaws? And I listed them. Oh. And you're, it's, you're not allowed to sleep or wash yourself in a public open space. Yes. And then I've got a lot of reasons why not. <laughs> um, and including, you know, lack of cooperation from, from other agencies. Um, thinking it's not an arrestable offense. They can't go and take someone off, out of a park and stick them in a, in a cell. Uh, they can, they so can, how do they clean up when there's a BRICS conference and where there's some really big deal conference happening? 
the streets there is not a beggar in sight. No, I don't think that's true. You, I, I can, you, I you, you, you don't see them. <laughs> uh, when they had the BRICS conference in yeah. Santon uh, yeah. in, in the middle of uh, 2018, yeah. there wasn't a beggar in sight. I can assure you my yeah. office is there yeah. uh, the, in that particular – around there. Okay, okay. If you're so I don't know how they do it. If you're talking about yeah. high visibility streets, yes, perhaps. yes. But the guys who are living in various places yeah, in, the in, parks, in yeah. Santon Drive, off Santon Drive and William Nicol, they're still there. They were there all the time I go there. I know. So they weren't. They didn't get rid of those. <laughs> they, yeah. they weren't removed. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, you want to comment on anything? Yeah. or? Mm, I, I think the the recyclers, because there's so many of them, you know, oh. our suburbs are literally infested by them. They They sort of become a. A, a sort of a token of the irritation or the, the, the all these people on the streets, and yet they're the ones who probably work the hardest. Mm. And I mean, we were out feeding them last night, mm. and it was the only meal they get during the week. I mean, I asked some of them, "What would you have done if you didn't get a meal tonight?" He said, "I would have had another bottle of water or something." Mm. Um, but I, I think they aren't really the target because it goes back to what I'm saying is that if they're earning a living, what you said earlier was just don't give. I didn't say that. It's, it's don't give to the people who are doing nothing for the yeah. money. You encourage them. And you know what will happen to them? They won't simply disappear. They'll start doing something. They'll look yeah. around and say, these guys are making wire things or this one's knitting or this one's entertaining. And they'll do something at least that's more constructive than just simply giving money to beggars. Are you saying that the jugglers are less irritating than the man who's just standing next to your car? They are because if you look at them, just fr- reframe the whole thing and look at them and say, how good is this guy? You'll be astonished how, how good they are. You'll struggle to see on international stages people who can juggle like, like these fellas. I mean, they practice for effectively for eight hours a day because that's what they do every day. Mm. But they are good. If you look at them and just analyze their skills and see and, and imagine how difficult it is to do what they're doing, at least they're providing something. They, they're putting effort into life. They, they, they're doing something. Whereas the beggars who just point at their stomach, now it's your responsibility to feed them. No. And you know what will happen? If he points at his stomach often enough and nobody gives him any money, he'll go find something else to do. I don't know what, but he'll find something to do. I promise you he will. He's not going to just lie down and die because no one gave him any money. Yeah, this is the man who wrote very – Beautifully about street people for a year in the Saturday <laughs> Star, Dave Gemmel, yeah. yeah. Martin, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to argue with that because I, I was asked to come here to talk about displaced people. Yes, uh, beggars. Yeah, you know, um, the culture of dependency is an issue. Mm. But when is a person displaced? <laughs> what What is the definition of a? Is it a vagrant? What What is a vagrant? Someone in in our in in everyday like terms, homelessness. Mm. Is is a worldwide problem. You yes. can go to New York, as I'm sure you have. You'll see people sleeping rough. You'll see it in London, Paris, mm. you know, Western capitals, is, and you know, third world. Obviously, right in the last couple of years, this huge exodus of people for, across northern Africa, across the Mediterranean, into Europe. That's created a huge absolutely. Lot of homeless. Mm. In Syria, there's homeless people. Mm. Uh, people are on the move. All over the place. It's just uh, our, our variety here mm. my, is different. Do we have people sleeping on pavements in in Johannesburg? Thousands. Yeah, yeah. thousands. thousands. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the Mandela Day, we went. I went out with a company, that, a tow company, and they were distributing blankets, and they distributed three thousand blankets. Now you think you'd struggle to give that many blankets away? Yeah. I promise you, we were avoiding certain areas because there were too many people in that yeah. area. We would have been swamped. 
And wherever we went, there were people sleeping on the pavements. It was the most depressing thing to see, uh, the simple, overwhelming number of them. So so the city of Joburg is sort of seized with the issue, but I would like to see more energy and emphasis and, and money going on. In the year that I became a councillor here, the, in the budget leading up to that, the budget for the displaced people's unit was halved at the same time they were preparing to deal with George Lee Park. Mm. So the, there is money set aside in the current budget cycle for shelters, um, but the, the placing of them remains an issue. Mm. My sense is that people are more receptive now. People in my would be more receptive than they were two, three years ago. They realize that if people aren't going to go away, if we could construct like multi-purpose centers where you could combine a bit of, a bit of education some sort of uh, recycling station mm-hmm. uh, where, and the, the sleeping would be just, you know, you can stay there at night, but in the daytime you've got to get out. I think we, we, we're heading towards that sort of thing in, in, in this part of the world. Yeah. I think we'd like to thank Michelle Ackerman very much for coming in. It's not easy to be grilled by us here. Come a little forward, Michelle. <coughs> yeah, we can only say God bless you and you. Uh, I hope you and your children achieve some greatness in your lives. Uh, you're working hard towards it. If people want to learn some knitting mm. and and uh, support you, thank you. And uh, you you knit what? What do you what do you do? What kind of knitting do you do for I people? I can knit anything, mm. um, but I was given a sewing machine a few mm. days ago, so oh, I'm wow. going to start wow. sewing now as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Okay, corner Jan Smuts and Conrad Drive mm-hmm. in Craigle. That's, That's where they can find you. What's the best time to get you? Oh, um, well, it's summer now, so I want to start a bit earlier so I can mm. get out of the sun a bit earlier. So probably, well, from early mornings, maybe 7 till about lunchtime. Mm. Okay, all the best to you, Michelle, and thanks for being so brave. Not easy to come in here. Thank you. To Dave Gemmel, who wrote about our street people for over a year in the Saturday Star, you did a great job. Every week you came out with something really interesting. What's next, Dave? Well, well uh, thanks for the chance to plug this. I want to put it all together now in a coffee table book, the intention being to get the book sponsored or, or whatever, um, but then use t- a percentage of the proceeds to, to, to give to the people in the book, not just to street people in general. Mm. And And the reason I say that is that if you give Michelle a hundred rand or two hundred rand or three hundred rand or something, you you help her for a day. You get her going along, but it doesn't advance her cause, which is to start this little sewing academy. And I've had a look at some of her forms and what she's put together, a sort of mini business plan, and it's quite impressive. What you know, what to to give her that sort of opportunity would take a, a lump sum of say five thousand rand or ten thousand rand, which I think if we could sell enough books and we could get it sponsored. Um, there would be this this chance to give a few people like Michelle a, a lump sum which would take them out of where they are at the mm, moment. Great initiative, Dave. Mm. I hope it works for yeah, you. Thank you. Run. Martin Williams, uh, City Councillor Johannesburg, yeah. you rushed to be here. I know you had something really big on this morning. Mm. You've still got your lanyard, tag. your tag. <laughs> Many thanks. Yeah. Uh, you're a councillor for how long? How does it work quickly? You've got a minute. So there's a five-year term, and yeah. the election was in August 2016. So, oh, so you still got a long, long spell left. Uh, yeah, we're not oh. halfway yet. Huh? Okay, keep up the good work. You <laughs> do a great job in that area. That's yeah. why I got you in. Yeah. Many thanks. Yeah, I'm thanks. sure your constituents. Try and get this out to them. 
they would love to hear what you're doing for the uh, people that need assistance there. Yeah. Yes. Okay, thanks, cool. Gary. Yeah. Many thanks. You want to end off, Michelle? I just want to say something. Mm. Um, I want to thank everybody that passes that intersection, Conrad and Jan Smuts, for over the years, for their patience especially, because I've been there for so long. Mm. Thank you for your their ongoing support, for understanding and still helping and, and you know, still just being there for me, even when they just chat to me, it's amazing. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, there's some good there's some good angels out there. Some Definitely. good people. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately we're not all as good as some. But anyway, that's another discussion. Many thanks to you, our listener. I hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers till now t- till then. <laughs> Cheers. Law, like you've never heard it before. The laws of life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.